Hot Opera! <laughs> Lovely. That oh, one, that was That one went gorgeous. awry. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Wiggly, she our episode number 33. 33, what's it gonna be? Is it gonna be a good time? Yes, it is. Okay, I've written a whole jingle for this week. Yes! God, you're just so yes. on the job this week. That is what we're here for. The problem is going to be when we get to the 40s. Now then I have to do a new rhyme for 41, 42, 43. <laughs> yeah, I never, thought about, I never thought about that one. I think there's a very big question overhanging this week after last week's episode. Yes. Did you pass out when you got your vaccine? I didn't pass out when I got my vaccine. Yay! Thank you very much. I did. I got asked, how are you? What's, how are you? How are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm no probs. I'm absolutely fine, thanks. Uh, all the while not making any eye contact. <laughs> um, because I didn't want to look towards the needle. Because if I saw the needle, then I would know it was there. That is fair. That's a yeah. very clever tactic. It did the job for me. And it was pleasant. I quite enjoyed myself. It w- I was very quick. I went there yeah. and parked up my appointment was about 13 minutes past two and I got in there a couple of minutes early and I was the only person in the seating area waiting to be taken so the next person available to do a vaccine immediately called on me oh well that is convenient have you had any information as to when you'll be getting yours I have indeed I'm getting mine (gasps) at the end of the month exciting which is not that far away yeah two weeks tomorrow I think which is very exciting because it was one of those things where just that afternoon, me and my friend had been moaning about not hearing anything yet because we're very impatient people. <laughs> Fair. And that evening she te- sent me a text saying, oh, I've got my vaccine date through. And I was like, oh, that's great. Well, secretly going, you bugger, I want mine. But um, <laughs> literally <laughs> 20 minutes later, because we live very close to each other, mine came through as well. What a coinky day. We must have just been doing everybody in our sort of area <laughs> at the same time. So that's very exciting. Although it's at yeah. 10 to 9 in the morning. Ugh. That's very early. I'm a, I'm a morning person and I generally like getting all my business done before 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But that, uh, that's quite early to be up and dressed and a functioning human being on a Sunday. So On a Sunday? That's the day of rest. Absolutely. Uh, be sure to have a cup of tea beforehand. You don't want to be low on sugars when you go in for a needle appointment. Yeah, really, nobody wants that because the last thing they want is having to peel a nervous Hannah off the floor. Nobody wants mm. to have to deal with that at 10 to 9 in the morning. No, it's for everyone's benefit that you have a nice sugar. Absolutely. Which of the vaccinations did one receive? I got the Michelle Pfeiffer. You got the Michelle Pfeiffer. I thought you were getting the Aslan Veronica. I thought I had the Aslan Veronica, but that's because one of the pamphlets they gave me, in fact, the pamphlet they gave me, had more information about the Aslan Veronica than any other. But turns out, upon Googling, I had a strange code, it felt like an escape room puzzle, where (laughs) the sheet that actually said the vaccine type, instead Uh of saying what it was, it had numbers and letters. And I didn't know what any of it meant. Lovely. But I googled it and it turns out it was Michelle Pfeiffer's, so that's good. <gasps> Look at you, Michelle. I know. How exciting. 
That's because I spoke to somebody else and they said, but the Aslan Veronica is not being given to people of your age. And so oh. I was then like, oh, well, maybe I didn't get that one. So then I investigated <laughs> further and found out it was Star of Stage and Screen Michelle Pfeiffer. Did you feel like her afterwards? I did. I sang some songs from Greece too and pretended to be a decrepit witch. Hey, the girls got range. What can we say? Yeah, she, she has really done likes it to cover all. all bases. She really does. She maybe shouldn't have done it all, but she did. <laughs> I mean, Greece 2 is not great. If you're not that, a fan that... of the first one much, then you're probably not going to be a fan of yeah, the second one. I can't, I can't say I am. I never really liked that show, but... It's just the message. Yeah, it's, 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 it's some catchy tunes. Got some catchy tunes, but the overall message is if he doesn't like you as you are, change everything about yourself. Yeah, which isn't necessarily one we want to promote, although I do like the costumes. I, am, I do enjoy I am the costumes too. Of a I'm a fan skirt. of a, a, the, the T-Bird costumes I've always been a fan of. I like the 1950s greaser look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Not on look. my own self, because I don't look like a 50s greaser, but still, <laughs> I appreciate the look. That's fair. You can appreciate the aesthetic from afar. Yes. And I do. Good. <laughs> so what's been happening? Has anything exciting happened this week apart from getting your vaccine letter? Um, what has been happening this week? I went to the Botanic Gardens today and had mm-hmm. tea in the tea rooms. Excellent scones Lovely. in the Botanic yeah. Gardens tea rooms. Highly recommend. <laughs> it was Once very again, good. never been. Have I ever been anywhere? Nope. Nope. Oh, please. <laughs> you live like 10 minutes away. <laughs> I know. I've just never, I've just never taken the, the opportunity. Oh, well, I, I do highly recommend it. Be absolutely lovely. Um, went up to Glasgow University yesterday to actually take some reference photos for the Instagram. Because... Nice. I saw them. Thank you. But because the issue is with some of the places we cover on the podcast is not all of them are easy to get to. Glasgow mm-hmm. Uni is one that is easy to get to. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who doesn't drive. So I was like, go early in the morning, it'll be quiet. Went and just had a wander about the campus. It was a delight. But, and it's a big but, as I was up there living my life, just wandering about, there's, was, there were some people who clearly were graduating but aren't getting the graduation so had got hired their robes and were doing like a photo Mm -hmm. shoot in the cloisters and it was all very lovely and jolly and I was walking about and amongst the trees and the grass and was like that's strange my nose is feeling very itchy (laughs) Uh then like one of then like one of the horsemen of the apocalypse my hay fever arrived over the horizon (laughs) The oh, space no. of a day and I could not stop sneezing last night. It was hysterical. My dad was going to the shops and was like, would anybody like anything? And I was like, can I get a box of pedities, please? And my, <laughs> my aunt because I can't breathe. Oh no. And a million Kleenex. So that's fun. But um, mm-hmm. to be honest though, my hay fever did arrive quite late this year. Which I'll take. I will take the small mercy of it arriving late. But it was just so yeah. funny last night. Because you could tell where I was in the house just based on my sneezing. 
<laughs> like a like a bat in the caves. Absolutely. <laughs> it was like echolocation because if I sneezed, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, she's she's upstairs in her room." <laughs> that was <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Uh, but what about but you yourself? Got some cracking photos. Well, speaking of the Instagram, actually. Yes. On my most recent post this week, whilst I was trying to source photos for my story last week, which mm-hmm. was tricky. Which is the case quite often for for stories that take place in the 1800s and photos weren't really commonplace. It's funny funny that, yeah. It is, isn't it? (laughs) So Mary Timney and Anne Hannah didn't really have a lot of selfies, none of that kind of stuff. But I did find a website that I hadn't stumbled upon before on my search Mm -hmm. for photos. And in there, I found a little bit more information than I did when I was actually writing the story. And there are some nice details that were missed out last week that I was a bit peeved that I didn't get to throw in because I didn't know them. But they are on the Instagram this week. I put them in the wee uh, bio. So if anybody is interested, there's a little bit of additional information about that story with Mary Timmy Mm -hmm. and Hannah. Oh, actually, the last thing is, after us speaking so much about In Plain Sight, the Peter Manuel uh, show, the kind of drama series, it's been on repeat this week. It started repeating. Oh! (laughs) Yeah. So anybody who hadn't seen In Plain Sight or couldn't find it, it is currently being played on the BBC. Do you think the universe listens to our podcast? I think it does. Do you think we manifested that? I think at least 10 of our unique listeners are planets. And they made it happen for us. Are you struggling to find a question? (laughs) I am. My question, I did, the clip did the thing again, where it fell off, all the ones that we've previously (laughs) had, fell off the paper clip when the clip was in the hat. So everything I have since pulled out is something that we've had. <laughs> so, <laughs> so talk amongst yourself. <laughs> so this week's question is a very simple one. You should only have one answer to this. Oh, fantastic. What was your first West End show? My first West End show, I think, was Matilda. Was it really? Because it was mine as well. <laughs> no way! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first time I ever went to London, I went down with three friends and we went down, I think I was probably about 21 or 22 and we went down for three or four days and just did a couple of bits. And the first show we went to see was Matilda. The second was Phantom of the Opera. Much to the dismay of two of the people we were with. And I felt kind of guilty afterwards because they didn't want to see Phantom all that much. Now, it really is a wonder I wasn't on this trip with you. Because for my 18th, myself and my family went down to London. And the first night we went to see Matilda. And the second night we went to see Phantom for my birthday. <laughs> what the heck? That's so weird. <laughs> That's so strange. You couldn't make that up. <laughs> Did you also happen to go to Harry Potter World? Or whatever it's called, I, the studios? No, I didn't that time. Okay. I have been on future trips, but I, hadn't, I didn't that. Because that happened too. Well, I can't remember. I, I think that trip, we went very much classic tourist. Because three out of the four of us had never been to London before. 
So we went and did all the proper touristy things now. Wait, what? Then. What am I talking about? We did all the touristy things then. <laughs> Thoughts and feelings on Matilda? Loved Matilda. Oh, it's such a great show. It's such fun. My one comment would be that okay. there was not an awful lot of magic. Okay, yeah, I get your point. That there's so much magic in the film, and it's been it's a long time since I've read the book. Telekinesis front. Yeah, she does one trick, pretty much. She does, yeah. And that's kind of it. But I thought the, the ABCD song was oh, incredible. So good. So the good. kids were phenomenal. Matilda's very strong show. Highly, highly recommend. Yeah. Very good show. Very also, good show. If you haven't seen them before, Leslie Margarita, who is a Broadway Beltress mm-hmm. that I love, she did a Broadway.com vlog for mm-hmm. when she was doing Matilda, and it's a very good vlog episodical I experience. I do love a good vlog series. Yeah. Well, Leslie Margarita is a gem. <laughs> and she played Mrs. Wormwood. Oh, so good. Highly recommend her. It's so good. It's just purely because it is quite quirky. Yeah. It's quite a quirky show and it's quite quirky music. It's written by Tim Minchin, um, who I love, which is great. Yes. Um, I've seen him twice, twice live and in JCS. Okay, yeah. And he's phenomenal. He's so good. Oh, I so wanted to see that. I was so gutted I missed that. It also, but it, what I love, as we have spoken about previously when we gave our controversial opinions on movie remakes, I hate it when Roald Dahl books are made fluffy and are made cutesy. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not. <laughs> they're really, yeah. they're quite dark. They've got quite a sinister undertone to them. So I like the fact that in, the, even in the musical, there is quite a sinister undertone to it yeah kind of like laced very subtly throughout it and kind of its subplot but it's the the danger is there trunchbull is not a person you want to cross she's not made no cutesy and her behavior is excused because it's a musical she'd be scary (laughs) yeah absolutely well that was a remarkably easy question this week after i managed to sift through the ones we've already had that fell back into the hat so well i am impressed that our both of our stories were the same clearly it's very unusual what a coincidence evidently we've been living parallel lives and didn't know up until this moment what a time that's so weird i love when that kind of stuff happens (laughs) that is very unusual so because of all the shows in the west end we went to see those two in that order bizarre wild bizarre are you are you story timing first? Yes, I am first this week, I believe. Fabulous. Um, and I was very much inspired by yourself this week. Just in general. Just in general. Yeah. I mean, I do love you greatly, but yeah. um, after you did your morning rituals, I had a think yes. think, and you know how we're all a bunch of inadvertent pagans up here in Scotland because we're very superstitious. And we like a tradition. Yes. And we also like a bit of a celebration. Good times come on. Yes. Yes. This week, <laughs> I'm doing wedding traditions and Ooh. superstitions. What a, a... You obviously went for a jollier time than me. Whoop. Well, we have to balance the light and the dark, dear. 
<laughs> yes. I started with we the dark. Yep. We can't have too much death and destruction. If we, I know that's what the people want to hear, but we just mm-hmm. need to balance it out sometimes. And I can't consider... I'll leave you to I can't, it. But also, I can't promise there isn't going to be mentions of death in this story. You never know. I do want to try and be serious for a second, but because these traditions are obviously rooted in history, they're very much based upon a binary, if you will, when it comes to marriage. Because obviously we live in a society now that isn't entirely reflective of the historical ones past and we have people of all genders and sexualities that get married nowadays. Yes. But I'm personally of the opinion that no matter who you are, these superstitions can still apply to you. Yeah, I love that. And traditions. Because it was as I was writing it, I was going, all I'm saying is bride and groom. And that's not necessarily applicable to all people who get married nowadays. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the time, that's what it would have been. At the time, that's what it was. And our society is lovely and different now. So, yeah. There we go. And women okay. don't need chaperones to pop outside. Absolutely. So there you Lots go. Lots of things have changed. Lots <laughs> of things winning. have happened. <laughs> Does the ring finger on your left hand feel itchy? You don't need to answer it. It's rhetorical, dear. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was just checking. Well, just checking. Good. Always safe. Well, if so, it is a potential signifier that you are destined to get either engaged or married very, very soon. Ooh. Yeah, so there you go. That's one superstition off the bat. But for talking sakes, hooray, you've nabbed the ring. So let's get organizing for the big day. Firstly, we must think about when to set the date, as there are actually many variables that will bring either good or bad luck to the happy couple. We'll just wait, just you wait until the rules that I'm going to give you this week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for all you prospective <laughs> marriage, marriages out there. Just you wait, there's a big list. (laughs) So, a long attributed rhyme to days of the week when organising a wedding goes. Monday for health, Tuesday for wealth, Wednesday the best day of all. Thursday for crosses, Friday for losses, and Saturday for no luck at all. What about Sunday? (laughs) Well, clearly because it was history, everybody did sweet F all on a Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, true, true. (laughs) And Sunday, we've got our feet up. There we go, I finished it. There you go, completed it, love it. So in Scottish wedding tradition, getting married on a Saturday is actually considered the worst when it comes to tempting bad luck in your marriage. Why? I could not find online. But then it got me thinking and I was like, I think every wedding that I've ever been to in my life has been a Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's the most common day these days, I think. Exactly. Because unless it's in the middle of summer, you're not going to have a wedding on like a Tuesday afternoon. No. (laughs) Exactly. How about a lovely spring wedding? Sounds nice. Well, in theory, yes. Just as long as you avoid May at all costs. So never mind the lusty month of May. In wedding superstition, it instead states... Marry in the month of May and you'll surely rue the day. Oh. We're getting serious. But for why, I hear you ask. For why? (laughs) (laughs) She's back again on the podcast. Are we talking Mary? We are talking Mary. I'm not even Mary! (laughs) Welcome back. Hello, Mary. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, it's actually because of Mary, Queen of Scots. <laughs> so a May wedding being bad luck is actually attributed to Mary's utterly disastrous marriage to the Earl of Bothwell. And they married on the 15th of May, 1567. And everything went significantly downhill in her life since that day. Absolutely so it's considered did. very bad luck to wed in that month. Okay. So, okay. We've got your wedding day all sorted. We've avoided Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and the entire month of May. So we're good. We're safe. Fab. So okay. let's get on to the fun part. Let's talk about the clothes. Yes. The classic white wedding dress wasn't actually made popular until 1840 as the trend was started by Queen Victoria, which I believe you have spoken about previously. I think if I my mind did. serves me well. In the morning, in my morning episode. Yeah, morning exactly. Episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this, of course, inspired generations to follow suit. Until that point, women would generally wear either their best or most beautiful dress to get married in. That would they'd save a fortune that way. Absolutely, I fully agree. Mm-hmm. But... There are some superstitions around the colour one chooses to get married in. And the rhyme goes like this. Married in white, you've chosen all right. Married in blue, you will be true. Married in yellow, ashamed of the fellow. Married in grey, you'll live far away. Married in green, ashamed to be seen. Married in brown, you'll live in the town. Married in red, you'll wish yourself dead. Married in black, for luck, you'll lack. Okay. So some quite strict rules going on here now. (laughs) I feel like out of that, you could only pick out a couple of colours and actually have anything good happen. It's whether you're wanting to play, it's whether you want to tempt fate or not. You could wear Mm -hmm. a black dress to your wedding, but you might not be getting any good luck if you do. But also... Imagine swanning in in a yellow dress and being like, well, <laughs> and just kind of giving everyone the eye to be like, I'm, t- I'm not saying it, but I'm not saying it. I'm, I'm just, wearing I'm, yellow. Yeah, I'm just, it is implied. Yeah. <laughs> it's meaning I it's am implied. totally ashamed of this man. There you go. So as we heard in episode 27, the Victorians were highly superstitious when it came to the wearing of black, as it was associated with mourning. Often it would never be worn unless for this specific purpose. Now, women in mourning that attended weddings would often wear red dresses to the ceremony instead of their black mourning gowns, which is where you get the connection between married and red, better off, like, you'll wish yourself dead kind of connection comes from. And a fun fact for you... In the 1988 film Beetlejuice, directed by Tim Burton, Lydia's wedding dress that she wears in the final act of the film is red, which was inspired by the line in the traditional dress colour rhyme. Oh, that yeah. rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> You're now stuck in poem land. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, and the costume designer on the film was Aggie Gerard Rogers. Uh, so it's very well thought out in the film. That is why she wears red, not just because it looks good. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but it's meaning behind it. So then there's the small details as well, such as the jewellery and the veil. And oh yes, there are superstitions attached to them too. 
As well as being associated with purity, the wearing of a veil is traditionally associated with protecting the bride from evil spirits. As the bride's face would be distorted by the fabric, witches and demons would be unable to identify her, therefore unable to bring her bad luck. Ooh. Yes. And as a side note, you may want to refrain from having the groom lift the veil from your face, as much as it may look nice and romantic. Because this is actually an ancient signifier of the groom possessing his wife. <gasps> oh, yeah. as if there's not already enough of that. Yeah, <laughs> as if there's not already enough of that going about in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Just need to add that onto wow. it as well. Yeah. If you're think of get- thinking of getting yourself something sparkly to wear, because we do love a bit of sparkle, you'd best avoid pearls. Especially if you're one of the superstitiously inclined. So a bride should mm-hmm. not have pearls on her engagement or wedding jewellery unless they're borrowed. Something we will get to further okay. down in the story. So the stone is actually often associated with tears and pearls were frequently used again in Victorian mourning jewellery. So the two mm. should not cross over the wedding in the morning practices yeah okay never the twain shall meet right so we've got the outfit we've steered clear of any unlucky colors and we've made sure that we're not letting any of the demons get up to mischief so what about the wedding party we've got the bridesmaids but did you know that historically they played a very different role when it came to protecting the bride-to-be oh yeah. Did they used to be armed with swords? <laughs> Unfortunately not. But that would be cool. That would be cool. If they had their, ha- if they had their hair in buns and then they just went <laughs> pow and took out two daggers. <laughs> I'd pay good cool. money to see that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so bridesmaids would generally also dress in white and wear veils in order to act as decoys. Once again... This was to ward off any evil spirits that dared tempt bad luck upon the happy couple. They would also place garlic and herbs within their bouquets as a deterrent too, as they escorted the bride down the aisle. Oh. Yes. But one had best watch their footing as they walk, as should a bridesmaid stumble whilst walking down the aisle, then she shall be doomed never to marry. This is brutal. It is brutal and it only gets worse from here. So, and there's actually, so there's also rules upon the colour the bridesmaids should be wearing too. Green is actually considered exceptionally bad luck in bridesmaids' dresses. It's an alleged signifier that the groom shall, let's put it, stray during his marriage. Yes. And also, if you were living the Victorian era, then green wasn't actually a colour you wanted to wear often. Okay. Another fun fact for you, Victorians would often use arsenic in order to create a vivid, potent green dye, despite it being a highly powerful poison. And this specific hue is often referred to as just simply arsenic green. Oh my my days. Yeah. But there's actually, there's evidence of 
Victorians poisoning themselves because of the dye in their dresses and on their wallpapers. Because actually, it, if you take a lot of arsenic, then it's like immediate, the effects. But actually, you can get arsenic poisoning drawn out through a long time just through tiny little doses. And it's not fun because then you start internally bleeding and then your hair falls out. So My worst nightmare. Yeah. Well, if it, this may, just a quick side note, this may be wrong, but I remember from doing Mary Queen of Scots, nope, Mary King's Close tour, yes. that there is a room that nobody's allowed to go in because the wallpaper was toxic. And I wonder if it was arsenic. It could be that. Yeah. So there's could every be. possibility. We've also got the groomsmen to think about. But did you know that the selection of the best man and the groomsman dates back to a time when the clan system was still present in Scotland? Ah. So instead of being comprised of the groom's closest pals and his confidants, it would instead be some of the clan's best fighters, chosen on their aptitude with a blade. The best man was generally the individual who was best with a sword, as he would be tasked with protecting the bride and groom should any of their enemies attack during the ceremony. Seems legit, that's cool. Yeah, so the best man was literally just the best man. <laughs> just the best Fab. fighter. <laughs> tasked with protecting them. So the big day is just round the corner, so let's all go out for that last night of freedom. Bring on the stag and hen nights which is Hannah's personal idea of a nightmare. <laughs> I agree. Not going to lie. Sorry. If any of my friends hear this that get married in the future, literally my worst nightmare is the thought of having to go on a hen night. Just saying. Yeah. No anyway. probs. Noted. So <laughs> let's do afternoon <laughs> tea instead. So stag nights are often associated with tales of drunken, debauched behaviour in a contemporary context. But did you know there's actually an old Scottish tradition with slightly stickier consequences? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the blackening of the groom included covering the groom in treacle, ill, before uh -huh, yeah. dousing him in either feathers or flour. His pals would then parade him round the town, encouraging those they passed to mock the groom as they went. And because that is not mortifying enough, they would then be kind enough to tie him to a lamppost before abandoning him there for an hour. Oh, God. <laughs> I hate the sound of that. Nobody wants to be doused in treacle. Nobody treacle wants Treacle is for horses and for dense cakes. That's yeah, exact, it. Exactly. Nobody want. Can you imagine the scrubbing that would take to get that stuff off? The hair. The hair. Oh my the God. Hair. Not trickling no. the hair. Just no. no. That would be horrendous. It really would. Uh, Not a fan. Not a fan. So let's move on to the hen. Again, usually just as drunken and messy in the modern day. But do you know where this evening actually gets its name from? In Scottish tradition, a few days before the wedding ceremony, the bride's friends and neighbours would gather together, bringing gifts of food to be used in the forthcoming wedding feast. 
It was during this gathering that the women would prepare the hens for the feast. There would also be singing and dancing and just general merriment throughout the gathering. The bride would also occasionally partake in a game of chanty, where the bride would jump over a chamber pot in the street and passers-by would be encouraged to drop money into the pot in exchange for a kiss, which was considered to be good luck. Okay. Yeah. Cheeky. I mean, that is quite risky by, like, historical standards, just saying. (laughs) Yeah. Victorians Uh, were secretly wild. Absolutely. So, in modern wedding tradition, this concept of the pot has kind of stuck. Often hen parties will be witnessed walking around with a bucket, encouraging people to drop change into it. Although this is probably most likely to go towards alcohol than, like, bringing people good luck. (laughs) Also, quick note. Interesting how it's the man that gets covered in feathers and it's the woman who gets called hen. That's interesting. That is very that is very true. You, yeah, the man does look like a giant chicken. Yeah, they've not when... thought through the, through the the vernacular exactly. of the marriage experience. That's a very good point. You do make you do that. Yeah, I agree. Thanks. <laughs> so, parties are over. The clothes are all in. The venue is all organised. So let's go on to the big day itself. Dum dum da da. <laughs> Thank you. Now, <laughs> lest bad luck plague you and in your marriage, there are certain superstitions one may wish to adhere to on the day. One of the biggest and perhaps the most adhered to by even modern standards is preventing the couple from seeing each other on the day prior to the ceremony. So what is now upheld is a lovely romantic gesture where the couple will not see each other until the moment they meet at the ceremony, all dressed in their finery, is perhaps a little less romantic when it's looked at in its historical context. So this tradition actually stems from the days of arranged marriages. Oh no. Yep. And this is when the couple would literally not see each other until they were standing at the altar. Generally, the marriage had been organised by the bride's father, something that would perhaps resemble more of a business transaction rather than an engagement. Mm -hmm. It is from this practice we also have the concept of the bride being given away. Well, that's because that is literally what happened to the bride her father was giving her away most likely with a dowry to be another man's property much like i don't know a cabinet or a pair of shoes that kind of thing that's property as simple as that and here's where things get really very insulting Due to the wearing of a veil, grooms would not see their fiancé's face until they were at the altar. So if they didn't like what they saw, it was too late for them to back out. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Although, very dramatic if they did. Very good. Could you imagine the drama? (gasps) It would be humiliating. It would be humiliating although 
part of me would secretly quite like to witness that going down. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Just, just for the drama element. A bit of drama. Oh yeah. A bit of drama. Everybody loves a bit of drama at the wedding. At a wedding, there's always something. Always there's something. There's always something. Yeah. Let's move away from the the patriarchy for a minute, and let's talk a little bit about mirrors. Okay. Yeah, so mirrors are often associated with ritual and superstition, and this is relevant when it comes to marriage traditions too. In Scottish tradition, brides should only look into a mirror once prior to the ceremony, and, if possible, should only see themselves from the waist up. A bride that sees her entire reflection or continuously looks into a mirror will bring bad luck upon the marriage. Oh, I wonder why that is. Who knows why? Also, why are women is the not supposed fault? to? Ex- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is the woman not supposed to acknowledge the fact that she has legs? Maybe not. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Maybe, I don't, I don't know, know, know what that's about. I don't know. It could be something to do with vanity. Maybe. Who knows? Probably. Probably. So, fun fact: there is a Scottish Halloween legend that goes. If you stare into a mirror whilst peeling an apple in one continuous strip, then the face of your future husband will be shown. In some variations of the tale, the apple is optional. And there's also another variation where instead of a mirror, a wet sheet is hung before the fire and the face is said to appear on the fabric as it dries. Yeah. And the- only reason I knew about that, right, this is really stupid, right? But way back when, last year, uh, McLeish hosted a very excellent Halloween quiz. And the thing yeah. about the wet sheet was actually a question. Yes. Because I'm a geek. Um, <laughs> I knew about the mirror one. So when he said the question, I was like, I, th- I wonder if that's got anything to do with the, seeing the face of the person you're going to marry. So I put it down and I got, <laughs> I got that point. I got the point. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, so your quizzes were actually very educational, Chris. Just saying. That's, that was my goal. There were, on reflection, there were some rounds that I did that I was like, why would anybody get any of that right? It was just because I found these interesting facts I essentially wanted to share them. <laughs> so instead of quizzing you on your that. knowledge, I was just being like, here's some fun facts. Try and guess the answers. Absolutely. So we've got dressed. We've refrained from looking in mirrors excessively. So let's get the bouquets together because there's rules for the flowers too. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, I hope you're taking notes here, pals. Like, just saying. So, it is considered good luck in a Scottish wedding for a sprig of white heather, lucky white heather, to be placed within the bridal bouquet or have the groom wear it in their buttonhole. There's also a few you should avoid because, you know, bad luck and all that jazz. So, peonies represent shame, yellow roses are symbolic of jealousy, and this actually comes from Victorian flower language and associations, and lilies are a big no-no, as they are mm-hmm. associated heavily with funerals and mourning. So you shouldn't have lilies at your wedding. No, no, no. 
there's also the small matter of something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Yes, exactly. So this yeah. rhyme actually comes from Victorian England and refers to four items of good luck a bride should have upon her person when going into her wedding ceremony. So something old is to ward away evil and protect any children the couple may have. It also represents continuity amongst the family's generations. Something new represents optimism, walking forward into your new life. Something borrowed represents good luck and fortune, and it also honours other family members. And something blue wards away any evil spirits, as blue represents love, purity, and fidelity. So also, is it raining outside? Well, it's Scotland, so probably yes, but fear ye not. A rainy wedding day is actually considered very good luck in Scottish wedding superstition. It's the only one time rain is. They have to say that. They have to say that. So so not every single bride or groom that year feels rubbish. Exactly. Because if you only have one, if you don't have your wedding on that one day we get the sun, it's going to be raining. Yeah. So let's have a final check of the dress. And is that a little eight-legged friend on the hem? Arachnophobes, you might want to close your ears for this bit. I'll give you a heads up this week after the flying buttress (laughs) debacle last week. (laughs) So, in English wedding tradition, finding a spider crawling across a wedding dress is actually considered good luck. And historically, bridal parties would often hide spiders in the hems of wedding dresses to ensure that good luck was brought upon the couple. (laughs) No way! I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> I love that. Does the spider have to be alive? Well, I, I, th- I mean, I don't like spiders, but I'm against crushing them Hurting into a them. wedding dress hem. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I would hope so for the spider's welfare that it doesn't yeah. get squished under uh, a bit of taffeta, you know just yeah you know so that's have we got all exactly i really like that one that feels quite on brand for us Mm -hmm. so have we got all our stuff together good so let's get on to the ceremony a practice often associated with scottish weddings is that of the scramble don't know have you not heard of this i don't think so no so to bring financial good fortune upon the couple the father of the bride would often throw money into the street as he and his daughter left the house where it would be gathered up by waiting children outside modern scrambles generally now involve sweets rather than coppers and silver excuse me but there's actually quite a lot of photos taken of like 50s and 60s glasgow of scrambles happening so it was like genuinely like a common thing to see on scottish streets yeah so speaking of coins best check that the bride has either a sixpence or a penny placed in her shoe because she's going to need that good luck and that's what that signifies that would be uncomfortable. It would be uncomfortable, exactly. So maybe stick it to your soul or something. Yeah, <laughs> Under maybe your shoe. The clack clack of your high heel could be produced by it could a coin. Be a penny. That's a good idea, actually. Yeah, that is a good yeah. one. So church bells, as we are well aware, are often associated with marriage, even by modern standards. But this actually had a practical meaning back in the day. 
So the bells would ring to inform the community that there was a marriage ceremony about to take place, and once it was completed, they would ring differently to inform those close by that the couple were now married. Oh, that's So before you had, like, an iPhone or social media, it'd be the church bells telling you what's going down in in the town that day. Got you. Oh, God, that rhymed as well. Oh, oh no. <laughs> You're broken. <laughs> oh no. So, Scottish tradition dictates that as the bridal party approached the church, flower petals would be thrown before the bride. However, God help you if you see either a pig, a funeral, or a pregnant woman, because you're going to have to go all the way back to the house and start all over again, as seeing any of these three things was considered incredibly bad luck. Oh, and try and make an effort to cross running water twice, as this was considered very good luck. So, no pregnant okay. woman, yes to the running water. <laughs> okay, what if you were walking past a pregnant woman and her waters broke? Oh, now that really is a conundrum. Would you step over that fluid and say it was fine? <laughs> it's technically running water, though. Yeah. <gasps> True. Oh. Maybe it counteracts itself. Maybe everything remains neutral. Maybe it would, yeah, just nothing, yeah. nothing happens. That must be yeah. what it is, yeah. Yeah. Right, so we've made it to this ceremony. We've dodged into bushes every time we've seen a pregnant woman in our path. And the couple are about to exchange their, vow- their vows. So, have you ever noticed? It's not funny. It's not Sorry. Fu- I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying to give in. Yeah, exchanging their vowels, <laughs> passing on, to... passing Cheerios to each other. <laughs> I'm trying desperately <laughs> to remain human here. Okay. <laughs> Although You're exchanging well. their vowels would make a very good title. <laughs> Ooh, ah. <laughs> so, oh God. Have you ever noticed at a wedding that the bride is always on the left side of the groom? Oh, yeah. So, again, we have the clan system to thank for this tradition. Now, sometimes, because the patriarchy was a thing, mm-hmm. brides had been captured from an opposing clan, meaning that her family may come a-calling with weapons brandished. By being on his left, the groom was able to hold on to the bride with his left hand whilst he fought with his right. This tradition was established so the groom could keep his dominant fighting hand free. Because, you know, you couldn't use your left hand because you were a witch, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to conceal that. Conceal, don't feel. Yep. So, also, the phrase tying the knot also has its basis in Scottish wedding tradition. During the ceremony, the couple's hands would be literally tied together using a length of fabric, which was often a length of tartan. And it was done as part of the formal ceremony, and the couple are often gifted this knot at the end of the ceremony as a reminder of their vows and promises. Hmm. We also have the exchanging of the rings and obviously the traditional place it is worn is the ring finger on the left hand. And a fun fact for you, this tradition can actually be dated back as far as the ancient Grecian times. As physicians of the day believed that a vein from the finger ran from this finger straight to the heart called the vena amorous. 
Oh, that's yeah. Samores. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So even the wedding ring has a few superstitions attached to it. A wedding ring falling off can mean the end of a marriage through careless means, as enough attention has not been taken to ensure the ring fit properly. And a wedding ring that is too tight can be a signifier of jealousy, a strained relationship, or feeling suppressed by one's partner. But don't worry if you drop the wedding ring during the ceremony, though, as this is actually believed to relinquish any dark spirits that might be hanging about during the ceremony. So if you're clumsy, you're good. You're fine. That is very good to know. It is very good to know. (laughs) Because. Yeah. So if you drop it, you're good. You're covered. You're not going to get haunted. Oh. Well, that changes things. You know what my dream in life is. I know, but you don't want on your wedding day, McLeish. Do you really want that? that's true. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's true. That is true. <laughs> Do you really want a wee demon tapping your shoulder while you're doing a military two-step at the Kaylee that night going, hello? No, because that is one of my favourite dances at a Kaylee, so absolutely not. Well, there you go then. That would just be inconvenient <laughs> to all involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at Scottish ceremonies, the couple will often drink from a quake at the conclusion of the ceremony. For anyone that doesn't know. A quake is a two-handled dish, often constructed from silver or pewter, within which whiskey will be placed. The couple will drink from this at the conclusion of the ceremony, sealing, quote, the marriage. Occasionally, it will be passed around to the guests, so they can also have a wee dram. Wouldn't recommend at the present time, though, you know, like cross-contamination and all that. Just maybe not do that. So the quake must be held with both hands as it's actually considered disrespectful if one doesn't. Well, at least back in clan times anyway. Okay. So to hold it with both hands was considered a mark of respect from one clan to the other as if both, because if both hands were upon the quake, then it meant that one wasn't on a weapon. To conclude... Unsurprisingly, here in Scotland, we're a fan of a good party, and weddings are no exception to the rule. So, Victorian wedding receptions were often far more demure events, generally known as either wedding breakfasts or wedding brunches. There would be many speeches and toasts, and arguably less drunken behaviour, although, technically how are we to know? Because we can only presume there was no drunken behaviour at Victorian weddings, but there might have been. There might have been, you never know. There might have been, yeah. They were Uh, cheeky with the the dish outside, (laughs) so they might be cheeky with their booze. That's true. They were cheeky with the dish. So an often still practised tradition is that of the bouquet toss, where the bride will throw the flowers over her shoulder, and whoever catches them is said to be the next one to wed. However... Historically, this was a little more dangerous, as instead of her flowers, the bride would throw a shoe. Yeah. Oh, God. You don't really want a dagger stiletto coming at your eye at a wedding reception. Nobody wants that. If she'd chosen a nice nude ballet pump, perhaps things would be okay. Exactly. If you get that to the face, you've got a bit of squish in that, so it's not going to hurt as much. Think these things through, brides. Absolutely. So whichever bridesmaid caught the shoe would then throw it at the men 
whomever it hit said to be the one that she will one day marry. Okay. Yeah. That's like I like get... olden days Tinder. It is a bit like an olden days Tinder, except with more heels. More heels. More throwing. I'd like to bring throwing back into dating. More more throwing, exactly. Although I'm not saying that there isn't the chucking about of shoes at people at the end of a Scottish wedding. True, that, but maybe for entirely different reasons. Maybe for entirely different reasons. There's always that one couple that's got too drunk and end up having a domestic in the middle of the dance floor. Just saying. Yeah. Just dance over them. Just dance over them. Yeah. <laughs> just, just make them the centrepiece, it's fine. Yeah. So... The bride would also be often presented with a horseshoe by the page boy or flower girl, as it was a signifier of good luck if it is presented upwards. If it's presented downwards, bad the or luck bad. Falls out. It's like handing someone a crucifix upside down. Wouldn't recommend. Unless you genuinely believe they are the Antichrist. In which case, unless they love it. that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um Obviously, a big part of Scottish weddings is, of course, a Kaylee. Yay! Yay! Although it is less fun when you're being dragged around the room during Strip the Willow by drunken relatives. Less fun. True. Especially if you're the only sober one left. Not good. Not good. Namely, you and I. Exactly, yes. So, the party's over, there's somebody throwing up in the toilets, some obscure relatives have had a fight and are threatening to have a punch-up, and the best man is slumped, sleeping in the corner. Time for the couple to leave and go off to their new life together. We've got to ward off those pesky spirits first, however, because they're still knocking about. So, the tradition of carrying the bride over the threshold began as a way of protecting her from any spirits that might dare follow her through the door. If carried, it ensured she'd have good luck whilst, li- whilst living in that house with her partner. And, just a heads up, it is incredibly bad luck for the bride to walk out of her house, down the aisle, or over the threshold with her left foot first. She must always lead with the right. And this is where the phrase, put your right foot first, comes from. Oh! Yeah. Well, I know plenty of people who can't tell left from right, so... Well, see, now that is, tri- that is tricky. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. If any of you brides, or if any of you humans out there that are going to get married one day, that are a wee bit superstitious, maybe just sharpie an L and an R on your shoe, just to be safe, you know? Yeah. Those poor dyslexic like, Victorians. Yeah. <laughs> poor thing. So, of course, however, if this whole ceremony thing doesn't seem like your cup of tea, why not just elope to Gretna Green? Why not? Why not? So, the Marriage Act 1754 covering England and Wales meant that anyone under the age of 21 had to have their parents' permission in order to get married. This led to a slew of young couples fleeing to Scotland. Crossing the border, where would they be permitted to marry under Scottish law? As Scottish mar- marriage laws were much more relaxed than those down south. Lovely. This is also where we get the phrase an anvil wedding, as the famous blacksmith shop at Gretna Green became the place where couples would get married once across the border. Oh. 
There you go. That's so cute. And that is wedding traditions and superstitions. Love that. That went on significantly longer than I was anticipating, but there was no, a I lot thoroughly of content. Enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the same thing happened with the death ones. The mo- the mourning traditions were also quite lengthy, but I think it's just the nature of such a superstitious age of people. Exactly, because I knew of like a handful of wedding superstitions, like not seeing your fiance before the day the like the outfit colors things like that but actually see when i was reading into it it was the thing that blew my mind was the thing about standing on the the groom's left and i'd never thought of i'd never thought about that before and then i thought of every wedding i've ever been to and i was like wait a minute that is a thing yeah (laughs) that's still persistent to this day it's crazy yeah I mean, I, I always enjoy knowing the origins of things that we do today, including the etymology of phrases and words and things. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of that that I didn't know about phrases that we would use today, but no yeah. idea. Absolutely, I had no idea. Well, there you go. Okay, so from weddings to potentially one of the most severe cases of poltergeist activity in Scotland. <laughs> Oh Just god, we cover segue. everything on this podcast, really. We do. <laughs> we do. Yes, this strange case of poltergeist nonsense happened in 1695 in a farm called the Ringcroft of Stocking in the parish of Rerick in Ochencairn, Dumfries and Galloway. So we've taken ourselves right on back down to Dumfries and Galloway. After saying last week we'd not been there before, now now I'm just like, well, let's just stick about. (laughs) I believe that this story was found in the records of a parish priest's, his paperwork and stuff. This was a story that he had written down as a first-hand experience, and it has thus taken on kind of legend status. So... It is believed that what I'm about to tell you is true. Well, that means uh, because it, it must have been bad enough that they had to call in the priest. Do you know what I mean? <gasps> so, Ooh. this farm, called the Ringcroft, was owned by Andrew Mackey and his family. The first notably unusual incident took place in February of 1695. Andrew went out onto the farm on the mor- in the morning and discovered that overnight... All of his cattle had broken free from their tethers. Although one animal doing this may not have been particularly unusual, Andrew thought it was odd that they could all achieve it in sync with one another. But he assumed that it had something to do with the strength of the tether or perhaps how tightly they had actually been tied. Frustrated but with no real harm done, Andrew rounded up his cattle. The following evening, Andrew chose stronger tethers and tied them as tightly as he could. However, to his dismay, the next morning he found the same thing had happened. Not one single member of his cattle were tied up. Now that is very strange. His next thought was to move the animals to another outbuilding. But once again, things were not as they ought to be when the sun came up. But this time he found that only one of his animals had been moved and it was outside the outbuilding, tied to the farmhouse itself. 
and it was tied in such a way that it was suspended with its feet barely touching the ground. And if you think of how heavy a coup is... Oh, the poor coup. That would take some strength getting the coup up. So the Harry Houdini cattle shortly became the least of his worries. Late one night, while the family were in bed asleep, someone or something made a large pile of peat on the floor in the centre of the house. A large pile of rotting vegetable matter would have been bad enough with its terrible odour, which I shall call eau de off veg. But sadly, <laughs> that was not all. <laughs> oh no, what else was with the eau de off veg? The eau de off veg had been set ablaze. Oh, ill. Fortunately, the family wo- were woken up in a daze by the stink of smoke and they successfully extinguished the fire before anyone was hurt or any serious damage was done. By March, stones began being thrown both at the house from outside and at the family inside the house. No one could pinpoint either where the stones were being launched from or whoever that was throwing them. The worst time for the stone throwing was always a Sunday when the family was deep in prayer. Oh, I didn't like that then. We've got an atheist, poltergeist. (laughs) In April, some of the Mackie children, which I picture being ice cream cones with legs. That's so funny you should say that because every time you said Mackie's, I was like, "Mm, vanilla ice cream. (laughs) Mackie's ice cream is really quite nice. It's very good stuff. (laughs) Highly recommend. (laughs) Maybe this experience launched the children into a different path for them, the cattle. I was going to say that. Is it of any connection? Because we have been talking about cows up until this point. I wonder. Could be. (gasps) I'll phone up Mr. Mackie and find out. So anyway, the Mackie children entered a room in the house and saw a strange figure shrouded in a blanket sitting nearby the fire. Okay, immediately I'm nervous. Okay. Considering the (laughs) cattle... With the ability to tie and untie knots with potential cowicide tendencies. And also the most recent stone attacks. The children were obviously terrified. Regardless, they steeled themselves and tried to talk to the figure to get its attention. The figure sat perfectly still and ignored them. One of the children felt courage enough to walk over to the figure only to discover it was simply an overturned stool with a blanket carefully placed over it, clearly with the purpose of resembling a human figure. This is quite a clever poltergeist. Clever, clever poltergeist. Also, I can't really imagine what kind of stool it was that it looked like a human. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. unless it was like but a bar stool. Maybe 1,600 stools were different. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe, maybe... They were shaped like a head on the bottom, so it was like a balancing act every time you sat on it. (laughs) As the stone attacks grew worse and worse, particularly towards those trying to pray, Andrew decided to contact the local minister, Mr Telfer. Telfer arrived at the farm a day or two later to discuss potential causes of these violent and strange events. Telfer explained to Mackie that years before, he and his family had in fact lived on the farm. It was owned by a family by the name McNaught. The McNaughts never had much luck with the running of the farm, such as poor crops and a variety of health problems that only cropped up after moving in. So Mr McNaught believed that the farm was cursed. 
McNaught sent his son to see a local woman who was known as a psychic, thinking that she could perhaps help. She wasted no time in confirming that the farm was indeed cursed, and the way to break it was simple. At the entrance of the house, there was a stone slab. If the slab is lifted, there will be a tooth beneath it. The tooth must be burned or the curse will continue. Uh. Yes. How the tooth got there, not sure. Uh. The son rushed home to tell his father, but on his way, he ran into a recruitment party. He was enlisted into the army there and then. (laughs) (laughs) Random. He was sent to Flanders, which is next door to the Simpsons, where he met another man called John Reddick, who was about to go home on leave. Coincidentally, they were both members of the same parish, so he requested that John pass on the psychic's message to his father upon his arrival, to which he agreed. Upon arriving back at the farm, John realised the message was arriving all but too late. McNaught had sadly passed away. Perhaps this was the curse at play once again. John decided it was best not to tell the new owners of the home about the curse and instead told a local minister. Very quickly, word spread and the new owner followed the psychic's, albeit late, advice by moving the slab where he did indeed find what was either a tooth or a piece of bone. He burned it, as instructed, and never experienced anything strange at all on the farm. This story was then passed on to Telfer by the minister that had spoken to Reddick. Telfer had a look around the farm. Uh, This is back in Mackie days. So Telfer Mm -hmm. had a look around the farm and initially nothing untoward seemed to happen. As he prepared to leave, however, stones began raining down at the house and the family insisted it was the spirits once again at play. The minister returned the following Sunday to lead the family in prayer And it was at his praying session that he was pelted by a hail of stones that manifested out of nowhere. Convinced the family was indeed under attack from a malevolent entity, Telfer returned a few days later, a little bit more prepared for what was to come. Okay, good. He was thinking, when in doubt, get the holy water out. See what I'm saying. Yes, he should have listened to you all along. You're the psychic, and the you're the local psychic. You're actually 400 years old. Just saying. See, he's going back, and he's he's like getting his battle armor on now. Yes, absolutely good thinking. He started by leading another prayer session. Predictably, he had stones launched at him. This time, though, the spirit decided to take it up a notch. A loud crack was heard and the minister doubled over in pain, claiming that he felt as though he'd been whacked on the back by a large, heavy staff. Though no such weapon was anywhere to be seen, he recomposed himself only to be hit again and again by the same invisible staff. One might say that he was making it up, but the whole family, the Mackie family, could hear the staff as it battered against his skin. Oh, that's very strange. Mm-hmm. Mm. As they continued to pray, knocks and bangs were heard around the room with no obvious source. Everyone in attendance said the noises sounded like somebody or something trying to find a way in. The minister, still attempting to pray, 
then felt something pressing on his arm. When he glanced down, he saw a hand, white as snow, gripping his wrist. The hand was clear as day, as was the forearm, as was the elbow, but then nothing. It was an entirely disembodied arm. No. (laughs) So it appeared, despite Telfer's efforts, he had failed at combating the spirit. In the days that followed, the spirit continued its streak of violence. Any neighbours who attempted to visit the Mackies were sent running for the hills by bombardments of stones and the feeling of being whacked by a large unseen staff. Andrew Mackie himself received an injury to his brow and was gripped by the hair and, uh, and scratched. Others were dragged up and down the house by their clothes and the local miller from Ochencairn called Keeg was gripped so forcibly that he called to his neighbours for help. At other times, the door bar and other furnishings would move through the house. The door bar? What the heck's that? Uh, They would move throughout the house as if being carried, but nobody could be seen carrying them. The Mackies were dragged through the house by by an unseen presence. When they tried to sleep, their blankets were pulled off them and they were pulled out of bed. Furniture was moved when nobody was looking. Chests and wardrobes violently shook. And of course... The reign of stones continued. Telfer called for backup in the form of other ministers to help him fight what was now being referred to as the Trouble. Immediately upon their arrival, rocks much larger than before were lobbed at them. One of the ministers suffered a bloody head wound from a stone hit and then, to make matters worse, had his wig ripped off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that... Poltergeist was going straight for the jugular with that one. (laughs) Absolutely. Snatched. Wigs were snatched. More peat appeared and spontaneously caught fire, which was then also lobbed at the visiting ministers. At other times, it gripped the legs of some of the ministers and hoisted them from the ground. Once a voice was heard warning all within that it had been sent to warn the land to repent, And if the land did not repent, it would go to its father and get a commission to return with a hundred worse than itself and would trouble every family in the land. I don't know if that means that it was was pretending to be Jesus (laughs) because it would return to its father. So I don't know if that was maybe a suggestion that he was the spirit was pretending to be Jesus. Yeah, it could, could be, be that, or or it could, his father could be the man that lives downstairs with the horns and the tail. Could be that is true. Didn't think of that. <laughs> our old our old pal, Satan. I remember. Yeah, him. I mean, I'm not big on his family tree much, but no, he's not got a good if, track record. Yeah, exactly. So if yeah. I were, if I were to take an educated guess, <laughs> we're probably talking Lucifer. That makes more sense than Jeeves. It seemed that the Mackies were out of options. No one could save them from the trouble. This was when Mrs. Mackie had a light bulb moment. She went ping. Ping. She twigged that there was a loose slab by the front door. (gasps) Not more teeth. She lifted it and found seven small bones, flesh and some blood all contained in an old folded piece of paper underneath the slab. At this point, would you not be asking questions what the previous tenants were up to? 
Yeah, I wouldn't be thinking, excellent, we've got what we need. I'd be thinking, yeah. crumbs, what the heck is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yes. would you not maybe want to know in the deeds of the house, oh, by the way, we were into some kind of like otherworldly stuff. You might want to chuck out what's underneath the, pa- the pa- patio. Apologies, but... <laughs> There's always the concern of what people are going to find once you're not around yeah and um this is one of those kinds of things that you think exactly you should have maybe thought about that before yeah yeah it's as simple as that like you just want to be you just want to be nice just be considerate and and get and get rid of your bones and your blood your bones and your your blood wrapped up in paper it doesn't sound very practical either i would have recommended a sandwich bag Mrs. Mackey took the items to Telfer while she was while she had removed them uh, like once she had them in mm-hmm. her uh, grasp the trouble attacked again stones were thrown fireballs landed in the house and bed sheets burst into flame after she managed to reach Telfer with the strange items everything stopped oh in the middle of April, the Mackey family briefly moved out and had some neighbours watch the house. The neighbours reported no strange activity, so the Mackeys moved back in, thinking that the curse was broken. Almost as soon as they returned, so did the trouble. Now, when people were struck by the invisible entity, they could hear it saying, take, take you that, which sounds like bad grammar to me. That sounds like very bad grammar. <laughs> Olden days times. Take you that. The stone throwing and pyromania also returned in earnest, along with mud flinging. Oh my God. Did you just say pyromania? I'd like, you just said pyromania. <laughs> well, I did. I said pyromania, then paused because <laughs> my brain went, what? <laughs> For those who don't know, in 2019, I was in a show called Pyromania. I was like, was there a part in the show where there's bad grammar? Did I miss a joke here? No. <laughs> okay. No, this was this was lots of fire play was coming back. There was no okay. pirates singing songs no about pirates. what a nice time it is to be on a ship. Damn it. A few days after moving back in, the trouble began to speak to Andrew. And it told him that the torment would only last for another four days. The next day, the house caught fire and the Mackey family and neighbours fought all day to put it out. Three days later, members of the community met in the cow shed and began a group prayer. As they prayed, they saw a black mass in a corner that grew like a dark cloud until it filled the whole room. Those praying had mud flung at them, and some felt like they were being violently grabbed with such force it would leave marks and bruises for days to come. After much prayer, the dark cloud disappeared and the trouble was gone. However, on its way out, it set fire to a sheep shed, and this was its very last act of terror. And this may sound like, like a success, but it came all too late, as the farmhouse was burned to the ground. Oh. The Mackey family had little choice but to move on from the area. Of course, because they had no house left. The location of the Ringcroft Cottage is marked by a row of trees conspicuous on the skyline near Ochencairn. The trees, reduced from four to three by a recent storm, fun fact, grow from the site of the cottage, the foundations of which 
still can be seen. Whoever or whatever caused the trouble to inhabit this farmhouse and torment those living in it, there is no denying that it was a very real problem for the Mackey family. One that caused them nothing but problems and eventually destroyed their home and their livelihood. Now, as I say, this was all documented in writing from Telfer himself. Mm-hmm. And he concluded in his writing, quote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And that oh. is potentially the worst case of recorded poltergeist activity in Scotland history. That's very creepy. Yes. That's a the, very good a, one. Thank you. They were a big fan of stones, big fan of mud. They just like to throw things. Yeah. Set fire to things. Um, <laughs> It could have been much, much worse. There was no grievous bodily harm to anybody, but there were scratches, there were bruises, and there was battering with a staff, but not (laughs) so violently that he was damaged beyond repair. Yeah, that's that's good, exactly. We don't really want, like, broken limbs or anything like that. We don't like that. Yeah, that's very spooky and reminds me why. I'm very terrified of poltergeists. I am the person that does believe there is such a thing in yeah. existence. Because Absolutely. I think I think a lot of people often misconstrue what a poltergeist is and does. Yeah. Um, I think quite a lot of people think of them as being like mischievous little spirits and ones that like to kind of like wind you up when actually generally they're not very nice ones and the fact that they can move stuff about is unhelpful to the situation (laughs) yeah they should stop doing that they are a poltergeist not somebody who works for pickfords when i'm saying i want a ghost in my house i'm talking small wee child a wee child one you can like maybe roll a wee ball at and it'll roll it back to you we like that level like i'm comfortable with that level Maybe press play on the cat's laser when I'm not in. Absolutely. It's super helpful and convenient. Really nice. Yeah, that's It's nice. when it starts chucking the ball at your head. That's that not you, what we're about. That's not what we're wanting. We don't appreciate no. that kind of behaviour because it's a bit scary. And do you, think, do you think I should perhaps bury a tooth at my front door? I would not recommend that because I will never come to your flat ever again. <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's also that's notable as well because if if ever we have a fallout and I really don't want you come and chap in. Well, that's true. <laughs> that will do it. Yeah. That'll do it. I'll I'll also, stitch spiders into all your skirts. Where were these and... people getting the teeth from? I know. Were they on the sly dentists avoiding the tax? Well, it was the 17th century because there is every possibility. But there's also every possibility their teeth were just falling out i mean yeah that is probably the answer yeah the answer to that but it just it wouldn't be my first thought to go oh look my tooth's falling out i better bury it under the patio better bury it yeah it's not really my first i wonder here's a thought when a child loses a tooth yes where does a parent put it if they don't keep it and if they're chucking it in the bin how many times has somebody who works at a refuse site discovered a tooth and thought it was the victim like a victim's tooth 
and so we've got a body on such a good point stranger things have happened i'm sure that is very true actually see when you think about it it is a very strange thing to have your teeth fall out to have new ones come in and it's you'd think that we would have evolved for it not to be painful because poor kids poor kids still to this very day 2021 have terrible mouth pain when their teeth grow in yes exactly and wisdom teeth are unpleasant they aren't they aren't fun i speak from experience in that one they're not a good time it is very strange although have you ever seen the skull of a child whose teeth haven't grown it is one of the most vile but slightly fascinating things i've ever seen in my life it's very strange because for those of you who haven't seen it and don't necessarily want to actively seek fair, it out... Which is fair enough. Yeah, which is absolutely fair enough. The adult teeth are in existence. Yeah. They are there, but they're just buried up into your face. What? And it's baby <laughs> ones come in, they fall out, the, then the adult ones come in, and then the bones must just fill up the holes. Yeah, must do, yeah. That, yeah, but, they um, must do. Must. But it's very, very strange. You never think about it, but then, because, well, I was about to say that baby teeth are just a waste of time then, but then a baby with adult-sized teeth would look very strange. I mean, my teeth, my adult (laughs) teeth did come in quite quickly when I was younger. Uh So I had big teeth for quite a small head. Well, small head compared to an adult's head, but a massive head compared to other children. But (laughs) I am... my like i have got teeth that are proportionate to the rest of myself which is large in terms uh-huh. not large as in large but large as in big long. <laughs> do you know what i mean long <laughs> yes lengthy long. and so everything's in proportion but these bad boys came in when i was still only about five foot so oh as a child who had teeth growing very early i can concur that a child with adult teeth looks very strange yep it's just, that was yeah, long-winded I... <laughs> <laughs> can just can imagine that being very disconcerting having a child yeah. grinning at you with full-sized teeth that's the stuff no, of nightmares right there absolutely nope. so, even worse an adult with baby teeth <laughs> yep that would be even worse that would be strange uh... although i'm sure there's people out there who have got small teeth and i do apologize if i'm insulting you yeah, but small teeth if it's in proportion to the rest True. of True. Kristen Chenoweth, I'm sure she's got very small teeth. She must have Because she herself teeth. is very small. She is, exactly. I've never spoken about teeth for so long. Do you think, here's a fascinating <laughs> thought. Okay. Do you think your height is sort of predetermined? Because surely you would have adult teeth in your head that are ready to come in the right size when they grow in. Oh. So if you are someone who only grows to four foot 11, uh-huh. your body has already got those four foot 11 teeth prepped and ready for growing. <gasps> That's a very interesting concept. That's very true because do they change when they're waiting for your baby teeth to fall out? Or are they just always adult sized teeth from the same Yeah, because can teeth born? grow? Can teeth grow? I never thought they could because they don't keep growing. It's not like we have to file down our teeth like we do our nails. Yeah. I am shook. Although, 
<laughs> that's where speaking of etymology that's where long in the tooth comes from is because there are animals out there like rabbits that do have to file their teeth down which is why they gnaw on sticks and such like because their teeth I constantly grow did not know that yes so the older you get your teeth get longer if you're a rabbit that didn't file its teeth down by chewing things your teeth the longer they were would show you how old you were but the older you ah. were so long in the tooth means getting older because your teeth are growing i don't know if it's strictly rabbits but that's the <laughs> the animal that i have in my head for that um but yeah there you are just a little etymological fact well that is a fascinating fun fact thank you very yeah. much for that don't you worry about it as always please pop along to our instagram and our facebook give us likes and follows there we post all of our corresponding photos up there every week and it just gives you a nice little visual to go along with the story along with our magic hat mondays where you can give your responses to our questions our we love a link wednesdays where we join links between different stories that we've told and of course fun fact friday where you will learn some kind of fun scottish fact if you happen to have a question for the magical hat if you either email us or messages it over it will be written down on a little sheet of paper folded up and go straight into the hat where it may feature on future episodes also if you happen to own an apple device if you could head on over to that little purple logo of apple podcasts and leave us a little review it would be much appreciated and helps us in the massive podcast algorithm of the world and thank you for listening to A Wee Bit Gothic. Was that gothic? A wee bit. So I think, we, did I say this before, that mine grew in when I was 17 or 16? Yeah, you said that last week. Last week, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Short-term memory.